High Praise Podcasts. Hey everybody, this is Pastor Joshua, lead pastor here at High Praise, and I want to thank you for downloading today's podcast. We know that this message is going to encourage and bless you. So I want you to open up your heart and receive what the Lord has for you today. We'll go to Exodus chapter 3. While you're turning there, before I really get started on this message, I do want to make mention of one thing. Uh, tomorrow, as most of you are aware, is a holiday. It is Martin Luther King Jr. Day. And um, I, I want to just take a moment and honor him and his dream uh, to honor what he meant for this nation um, and what he meant uh, in our history. I believe as a prophetic voice, um, to come and make some proclamations that needed to be made. Uh, if you know anything about us at High Praise, whenever uh, mom and dad felt the Lord lead them to start to this church uh, 27 years ago, um, which is awesome uh, to look around and see what God has done in the past 27 years. But one of the things, uh, there, were, there were three major things that uh, the Lord spoke to mom and dad's heart that they felt like God was telling them were, were kind of issues and problems in this area that they felt like the Lord had told them to target. The first one was a spirit of religion, which if you know anything about a spirit of religion, it has a form of godliness, but it lacks power, right? A spirit of poverty, right? People that think they just got to be poor, been poor all their lives. Mama was poor, grandpa was poor, and I'm going to be poor. That's not what the word says. But the last one was this that I'm going to mention is this spirit of sectarianism, Sectarianism is anything that comes to divide, and it can manifest in a multitude of ways, but uh, one way that it, it has manifested, and let me just go ahead and say it, one way that it has really been predominant uh, in the South historically is through racism and through uh, prejudice. And one of the things that whenever we started this church, uh, whenever mom and dad started, I was a little boy, I was, I was here, so I, was, I say we, uh, royally. Uh, whenever we started this church, one of the things that, uh, that we set out to do is we weren't going to be a white church. All right, y'all are real, y'all. We weren't going to be a black church. We weren't going to be a Hispanic church. We were going to be the church. We were going to be a reflection of the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. And I think you can look around this room, and 27 years later, uh, we can say uh, that is there still work to be done in our region and area? Absolutely. But I believe we can say that we have uh, been successful in being a reflection of our community and being multicultural, multigenerational, which we're going to talk about some more in a minute. But I, I did just want to read this real quick because uh, I, I think we all know that our nation is not perfect. There are no perfect nations, and we still have a long way to go in a lot of areas. But uh, how many of you are familiar with Martin Luther King Jr.'s I Have a Dream speech? Uh, he said this in that speech. He said, I have a dream that one day sons of former slaves and sons of former slave owners will be able to sit down together at the table of brotherhood. I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I have a dream today. I have a dream today that little black boys and black girls will be able to join hands with little white boys and white girls as sisters and brothers. I have a dream today. And I'm, we know that, that we still have uh, we still have work that needs to be done in the area of racial reconciliation, 
but I am thankful that we are much further down the road than we were whenever he made this speech. And I'm thankful that in this place, we can be part of the prophetic realization of a dream that he had over 60 years ago. And for that, can we just give the Lord a hand of praise today? Amen. Amen. Well, I'm excited to start this new series today called At the Core. Like I mentioned, we are celebrating 27 years as a church uh, body this year, this month. And God has been so good to us over the past 27 years. And I've said it 100 times. I'm going to say it 101 times. 2023 was the greatest year that we have ever had. And over the last couple of years especially, we've seen a tremendous amount of growth. We've seen a tremendous amount of expansion. And God's done some absolutely amazing and incredible things. But as Dad and I have been talking over the past, uh, past month or two, one thing that we felt a real urgency to do in this real leading of the Lord uh, to, 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 to do is for the next however long, there's no set time for this, we're just going to go till we're done. Uh, for the next however long, uh, we're going to do this series called At the Core. And what we want to do is we want to make first things first. And we want to go back and we want to just kind of restate uh, some core values, some core principles, declaring who we are as a church body and some of the things that make high praise, high praise. Every church... Just like every person has their own uniqueness, has their own unique call, has their own unique uh, things that they're called to do, that their own functions. And here at High Praise, we have some things that make us unique, that make us different from every other church. And I, I want to talk about those. We're going to talk about those key values over the next month, two, three, however long it goes. Uh, but today, I really want to zero in on what I feel is one of the biggest key values of us as a church body, as a ministry, as a movement, as a people. And that is this generational synergy generational synergy. Exodus 3 verse 14 says this, and God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Moreover, God said to Moses, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, the Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial to what? To all generations. Here in Exodus chapter 3 is actually the first time in Scripture that God inherently refers to himself as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. There are times in Genesis where it is stated, but this is the first time God actually says it about himself where God shows up and he speaks to Moses and he tells Moses, I am the God of your fathers. I am the God of the generations that have come before you. I am the God of Abraham. I am the God of Isaac. And I am the God of Jacob. Now, this is important for several reasons. One, you have to understand whenever God shows up to Moses, this is at the time where he's telling him, listen, the people are in captivity, and I've anointed you to go and say, let my people go. And when he tells him, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, he's saying to him the same promises that were there for 
for your fathers, for your ancestors, are still there for your people today, even while they're yet in slavery and in bondage. I didn't forget about my promise. But let me say this. God is also simply making the, 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 most, the most simple and logical point that he makes whenever he says, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, I am the God of Jacob, that I am the God, and this will be my name forever as memorial to all generations. He's making this really simple point that I am the God of generations. That I'm not just the God of Abraham. And it stops there. And I'm not just the God of Isaac. And it stops there. And I'm not just the God of Jacob. And it stops there. But I am multi-generational in my approach. Right? That I'm not just the God of Moses. And I'm not just going to be the God of David. And I'm not just going to be the God of Elijah, but I am going to be the God for generations that are yet to come. That God's plan, hear this, God's plan is bigger than you. That God's plan is bigger than a singular generation. Hear this, Jesus is not owned by a singular generation. Holy Spirit is not owned by a singular generation. It's not God highly favored your generation and hates all the others. He's going to move in yours. But you better believe he's not moving in millennials or, genera or Gen Z. And for those of you who are younger, it's not that God's doing something fresh and new in your generation. He's done with the older generation. God is not confined to a single generation, to a single age bracket, any more than he's confined to a single race or a single gender. And we know God's not just confined to one race. And we know God doesn't only move through men and not through women. I got a bigger shouts earlier. When I said that one, some of y'all are like, I don't know. Talk about that another time. And God doesn't only move through women and not through men. God is not a sexist. God is not a racist. Are y'all with me? And God is not also somebody who picks one generation and says, they're it. This is what I've been waiting for. Forget the rest of them. God moves through a multitude of generations. God wants to move in boomers. All right. Some of y'all aren't sure if that's you or not. <laughs> God wants to move in Generation X. God wants to move in Millennials. God wants to move in Gen Z. God wants to move in Generation Alpha. God wants to move through all of us. But let me take this one step further. Not only does God want to move in every individual generation, but the ultimate, the ultimate plan of God is only fulfilled when generations don't just operate independently of one another in the plan of God, but rather when generations begin to lock arms together to fulfill the plan and purposes of God. That is the kingdom concept. The kingdom concept is not one generation serves while the other generation sits on the bench. 
God's concepts are not that he moves in one generation and when he's done with that generation, he moves on to the next. The concept of the kingdom is that God moves in multiple generations simultaneously as they link arms together and can accomplish more that way. I am thankful that in this church, we are not a singular generation church. I am here hear this out. I'm I'm kinda I'm probably I'm probably pretty close to the median age of the people in the room. I'm probably pretty, pretty close, right? Because I'm kind of in that spot. We don't say the word middle-aged, I'm just in the middle. <laughs> I'm kind of probably right at about the median of the people that are on campus this morning. At uh, I'll be I'll be 39 years old this year. And I'm I know I'm making some of y'all feel old. Pastor Paul just had a minor heart attack on the front row. He's known me since I was like five. So uh, we were, I was talking to Pastor Gill last week. I'm actually already making uh, some just preliminary plans because next year, obviously, I'll turn the 4-0. And uh, I was talking to, to Pastor Gill. Pastor Moran and I were making some plans for a trip kind of for my 40th birthday. And I was talking to Pastor Gill about, you know, he's from up in New York and the, the trip I'm looking at taking kind of leaves from up that way. And I told Pastor Gill, I said, hey, how long is the trip from New York to such place? And he goes, it's about three, three and a half hours. He goes, why are you going up there? I said, well, not this year, but next year I'm going to celebrate my 40th. And he said, what? I said, yes, sir. And he said, thanks a lot. Thanks for that. I really appreciate it. But I'm kind of right in the median of, of, of the people uh, in the room. And I, I, I'm thankful that we are a multi-generational church. I'm thankful that I can look across this room today and I don't want to be the young church. And I don't want to be the old church. And I don't want to be the middle-aged church. I want to be the church that is representative of our community, that is representative of generations. And I'm thankful that whenever I look around this room, I see families not a family, but I see families that worship the Lord together. I'm thankful that this morning my grandparents are right here on the front row, and my parents are right here, and my wife and I are here, and our son is back on camera, and our daughter's in the room, and our other kids are over across the way, that we have four generations that are here every single week. It's not grandpa goes to his old person church, right? It's not grandpa goes to his old person church and dad goes to his, <laughs> gotta be careful, to his less old people church, right? And I go to my middle-aged church and my kids go to their young church. I'm thankful that this is not just a church for one generation, but it is a church that has generational mindsets. I'm thankful that whenever I look around the room, I see Vic and Kay and I see Tori and I see Zach, three generations here on Sunday morning. I'm thankful that I see Don and Katie and I see Stephen and Amanda and I see their kids over across the way in kids' church. I'm thankful that I see Mac and I see Jason and Tina and not in this service but in the next service we'll see Patrick and we'll see Jason and Julia. I'm thankful that when I look around the room that we see people uh, like like Bruce and Janet Brogdon and we see names are 
you get up here, Nicole and Steve, and we see their kids. I'm thankful that whenever we look around the room, we don't just see a singular generation, but we see generations linking arms together to fulfill the plans and purposes of God because God doesn't just move through one generation. He moves through a multitude of generations. And I could go around the room and name so many more of you. I'm thankful that we are a multi-generational church. Psalm 133 says this, Behold how good and pleasant it is for the brethren to dwell together in what? Unity. It's like the precious oil upon the head running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron, running down on the edge of his garments. It's like the dew of Hermon descending upon the mountains of Zion. For there... The Lord commands the blessing, life forevermore. Where does he command the blessing? Where? Where there is unity. Because it says this, it's like the precious oil upon the head. What is oil? Oil in scripture is always representative of anointing. If you want to see an anointed church, find a church that's walking in unity. If you want to see a blessed church, see a church who is walking in unity. And by the way, I'll I'll dig into this deeper some other time. But unity can only exist inside of the confines of diversity. I I I want to say that again. Unity can only exist inside of the confines of diversity. Because if you are like me, it is not unity. It's conformity. If you're just like me, it's not unity, it's conformity. And sometimes you have to conform to things. Don't misunderstand me. We are called to be conformed to the image of Christ, right? But the reality is, you know, if you're in a, if, my, my grandpa's never going to be in the same generation as me. And as a result, that's going to make us different. There are times we're going to have a different perspective. There are times we're going to have a different view because of experiences, because of knowledge, because of wisdom, because of whatever it may be. We're going to view things differently. And that's okay. That doesn't make mean that he has to be my enemy because he sees things differently. Because we have things that put us on the same page a lot more than separate us. So we can walk in unity even while having different perspectives. There are people in this room that have very different life experiences than me. And it may cause you to view some things differently than me. That's okay. As long as you name the name of Jesus and we're seeking him together. What unites us is a lot bigger than what we may have different. So listen, to even flow in unity, you can't have people in a church that just look like you that are in the same generation as you, that are the same race as you, that have the same fashion sense as you. I don't expect everybody to have my same haircut. That'd be awful, especially if the ladies did. But I've seen places, and that's kind of the way it rolls. You don't have to look like me. But we can walk in unity together. Generations can walk together and there can be commanded blessing when we walk in unity. One of our core values is generational unity, and you see it displayed every single week. You can look on this platform, and every single week, just in our worship team, that's just one area of ministry, but it's obviously a very focal one. You'll see people all the way from 14 years old, all the way up into their 60s and 70s on this platform, because we don't tell people at a certain age, well, time for you to go retire from worship team. You're not cool enough to be on the microphone anymore. We also don't tell people, hey, you got to wait till you're 25 
to be able, or 30, to be able to do anything. Because guess what? Both of those concepts are equally as toxic. And they're as equally as antithetical to the kingdom. It's not that you've got some little, you know, you've got to fit the perfect 10-year mold, and that's when you can move, and after that, you're done. Generations are called to walk together. And listen, I believe no matter how old you are or how young, let me, let me say it this way. If you're 80 or older in this room, God's not through with you yet. And if you're 14 and you're in this room, God can use you now. You don't have to wait till you're 30 and suddenly you get an anointing whenever you magically turn 30 and you can do something. You can make an impact for the kingdom today. Listen, we, we hear this, this phrase commonly about the generation gap. Are y'all with me this morning? We hear this commonly about the generation gap or the generation divide. And I don't believe the generation gap is from God. I don't believe the generation divide is from God. He said he's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He put them all together. He lumped it all together. He's the God of R.L. and the God of Robert and the God of Joshua and the God of Josiah. Put your own family's name in there. He's not just the God of one generation. He's the God of your family, and he wants to move through your family and in your family. And whenever generations begin to work together in unity, there's oil. There's anointing. There's an anointing when generations serve together. Listen, in the last you know, 20, 30 years, there's been a lot of talk about the tabernacle of David. How many of you heard anybody talk about the tabernacle of David before? In Amos chapter 90, pull me back up. The tabernacle of David, what it was, is it was a tent that was built. Um, it was a place of worship, the Ark of the Covenant, literally the glory of God was housed there. And you had, you had musicians and worship leaders and bands that played and worshiped 24-7. And in Amos chapter 9, there is a promise that God says that on that day, he will raise up the tabernacle again. He will repair its ruins, rebuild it in the days of old so that they may possess the remnant of Edom. That's what scripture says. The word, so that they may possess... I've heard this priest 85,000 times. Don't need notes, not even in my notes. I don't need them. The word, uh, so that they may possess in Hebrew is the, is the Hebrew word yaresh. It literally means to occupy by driving out the previous tenants, to cast out, to consume, to destroy, and to disinherit. God literally says, I'm going to raise up the tabernacle of David once again to drive out an enemy that has attempted to occupy areas that weren't his. And I believe that in our day, God is, is establishing and raising up the tabernacle of David to drive out where the enemy has attempted to take territory that doesn't belong to him. Now, this is how we have largely interpreted that, that God is going to restore a prayer and worship movement in the earth that's going to be 24-7. And we've seen prayer rooms and worship rooms pop up all over the U.S. over the past 30 years that do 24-7 worship and prayer. And that's all well and good, and that's wonderful. And we say yes and amen. If y'all want to worship at 3 a.m., you worship at 3 a.m. But unless I have a word from God, I'm going to be sleeping. I am not, I'm just saying, just for me, if, you, if that's your anointing, you go worship from one in the morning till five in the morning. I'm asleep. And the church said, amen. But listen, this is the thing. There's been a lot of, uh, of talk about that in the tabernacle of David. But one of the most commonly missed elements of the tabernacle of David is it's a place where generations serve together. We miss that part of it. And listen, you can worship and pray till you're blue in the face. 
till you don't have any more breath in your body and your fingers are numb from playing an instrument. But if that doesn't translate into your family and into your generations being impacted, we're missing the ball somewhere. That's not the tabernacle of David. Because in the tabernacle of David, there were three chief musicians. Their names were Asaph, Heman, and Jejuthun. And scripture tells us very specifically that with Asaph, Heman, and Jejuthun served under them their sons. It is very clear that generations were serving and were worshiping together. When we believe this, and I believe something, everything inside me, that what God is doing in, 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 in the earth today is not a model of the tabernacle of Moses, but it is a model of the tabernacle of David. I don't have time to dig into that, but it's not a tabernacle of Moses, outer court, inner court, holy of holies model. It is a tabernacle of David model where you're just straight into the holy of holies and in his presence. That's because the veil's been ripped. Really, the tabernacle of David, I'm going to get a little bit theological and weird. Y'all just hang with me for a second. The tabernacle of David really is something that happens outside of time. Because what they do is they approach the Holy of Holies inside the tabernacle of David, and they worship without going through all the stuff all the other priests went through, and they didn't die. In the tabernacle of Moses, you had to go outer court, inner court, Holy of Holies. If you ever read it, the priests had to go through all of these, these crazy washings and procedures and shave all their body hair and all this kind of stuff before they could even go into the Holy of Holies. And then whenever they did, you made sure you tied a rope onto their leg because they went into the Holy of Holies with a bell. Because when they went to the Holy of Holies, if they didn't do everything just right, dead. And if that bell start, stopped ringing, it was time for you to start pulling. Because somebody just died. But then the tabernacle of David, before Jesus even comes and before the veil of the temple is even ripped, people are already approaching the Holy of Holies. There is this thing that we see where it happens, almost this thing outside of time, giving us a model for the New Testament of what we do is we don't approach God with fear and trembling. We approach him with a heart of thanksgiving and worship and gratitude, and we're ushered right into his presence. That's the New Testament model. That's the kingdom model. And inside of that, generations served together. Generations served together. It wasn't that their sons had their own deal off to the side that they did until it was their time. They served together. It, their sons are explicitly mentioned as serving with them. Why do we have generations that minister together in this place? Because that's the order of the kingdom. Because it's the demonstration of the tabernacle of David. Asaph, Heman, and Jejuthun couldn't do it by themselves. And their sons couldn't do it by themselves. They needed each other. They needed the next generation. And the generation above them needed them. Listen, you, you can't get around this simple fact. We need each other. I said we need each other. Everybody in this room needs the other people in this room. Older generation, once again, I'll speak kind of as the median here. Older generation, we need your wisdom. You've seen some things. You've been down some roads. You've fought some battles that we have not. And listen, I don't want to have to fight the battles that you fought. I want to glean from your wisdom and know how to avoid the things that you had to go through that caused you distress. One of the greatest things, and I don't, I don't know how much you've said it from the pulpit, but dad, dad very much views his, his role very much so. He says all the time, I'm a coach. And, and you know what coaches do? Coaches will let you know what they see, what they've seen, and how to adjust 
from falling into pitfalls that maybe they've fallen into before or problems they've had, they'll tell you, hey, don't do this, do this instead. Hey, you need to zig instead of zag. Hey, you ran that route and we looked at it on the, on the monitor and you were on the field and you couldn't see it from the perspective we saw it. And we know that what you need to do is if you run this route instead, you're gonna be wide open. We need that. We need a generation that can give us wisdom, that can give counsel, that can speak into our lives. And, and younger generation, people that are younger than me, we need your zeal. We need your fire. We need your enthusiasm. We need your fresh perspective. Because you have a perspective on things that maybe a, an older generation doesn't know. Listen, it's amazing how quickly you kind of fall out of knowing what's going on in culture and in the world. I, I'm, I'm 38 years old and I already feel like I don't know half of what's happening because it all advances way faster than it used to anyways. About the time I figure out what's going on, everything's changed again. <laughs> Y'all know what I'm talking about? Anybody else in their mid to late 30s know what I'm talking about? Like, what in the world is happening? We need your fresh perspective, young generation. Listen, when it all begins to play together, when every generation begins to play their part, it's like a beautiful symphony. A symphony. I've, I view generations much like I view a band. One part by itself might sound good. Marcus can get up here and play the drums, and it can sound good, Right? Just by himself. Marcus can get up here and just play the drums and it'll sound good. Right? You go, that's nice. Mark can get up here and play his guitar and you go, man, that sounds real good. Mark's shredding. Keith can get up here and play the bass. Whit can get up and play the piano. Linda can get up and play the organ. They can all play individually and it can be wonderful. But you know what happens when they all begin to play together? In time in rhythm with the same sheet of music because they can all be playing together but if they're playing off a different sheet of music it's going to sound awful you with me you can have generations in the same room but if they're not playing off the same sheet of music it's going to be a mess they've got to have some unity of vision and know that they're going for the same thing and it begins to be this beautiful symphony that plays together. Romans 12, 5 says that we're one body and members of one another. My arm needs the rest of my body. I say it again. My arm needs the rest of my body. Your arm needs the rest of your body. My arm is unique. Not another arm like it. My right arm is different than my left arm. Right? It's unique. But that, you and, and by the way, that uniqueness should be celebrated. Even the things that you think are, are not that important are unique and necessary. We each have our own uniqueness, our own design, and I'm not going to try to make my arm be my leg. I'm going to say it again. I'm not going to try to make my arm be my leg, and neither should one generation try to make another generation just like them. Every generation is unique, and that uniqueness should be celebrated. But the uniqueness of my arm is only worth something when it's joined to the rest of my body. Are y'all with me this morning? My, my arm and its uniqueness is only worth something if it's joined to the rest of my body. Because my arm can be super unique, but if it's separated from my body, it's useless. And it's dead. 
Listen, I know that you think your generation and your culture and your this and your that is super unique and it needs to be celebrated. And I say yes and amen. But it needs to be joined to the rest of the body, not separated off doing its own thing. Right? There are things in, the, in, in, in boomers, and I don't use that term derogatorily, baby boomers, that are unique and should be celebrated. But if it's not joined to the rest of the body, it's of no effect. There's things in millennials and Gen Z and Gen X that are unique and should be celebrated. But if it's separated from the rest of the body, it's useless and it dies. Don't allow your function and your generation to die because you separate from the rest of the body and other generations because you don't like their music. Or you don't like this or you don't like that or da-da-da-da-da. Listen, don't become negative on what became before you or what's coming after you. It's easy to think that you're the ones. And honestly, in our church culture, we do that. I remember whenever I was in, in my 20s and, and uh, we would go to you know, youth and young adult conferences and, and, and you were constantly told, you're the generation. You're the generation. You're the generation. And I'm here saying I am a generation in what God is doing. I am not the generation. I am a generation in the plan of God and what he's doing in the grand scope of things. And y'all give me 10 more minutes. Listen, we need each other. Why? Because there's a synergistic thing that happens whenever we begin to join together. There's a spiritual law of synergy when we work together. More is accomplished. Deuteronomy 32:30. If one can put a thousand to flight, Y'all know, know, have y'all read the Bible before? If one can put a thousand to flight, two can put, two can put 10,000. The law of synergy is this. You don't add to me, you multiply to me. In synergy, one plus one doesn't equal two. One plus one equals multiplied effectiveness. Some of you heard me tell this story before. Years ago, I read this story about a horse pulling contest. That is a real thing. And then what they do is horses... Uh, were hooked to sleds, and these sleds were weighed down with different weights, and the horse who could pull the most weight would win. So in this contest, the first place horse pulled 4,500 pounds. The second place winner pulled 4,000 pounds. And someone at this competition said, well, I wonder what would, be, what would happen. It would be interesting what would happen if we, would, if we took these horses and we yoked them together. If we joined these two horses together, what can they do? And logic would say what? That they would pull 8,500 pounds. But that's not what they did. Whenever they joined them together, the horses pulled 12,000 plus pounds. Because there is this concept that whenever you get linked with somebody else, that when you get linked outside of yourself, that you become more powerful than you were on your own. Not just by what they add, but there's a multiplied effectiveness within both of you. Within both generations, when we link together, imagine if generations started linking together instead of bickering with each other about the lights or the screens or the music or the this or the that or whatever it might be. What if we quit bickering and we linked arms together and we found commonality? What if we linked arms together and said, we're going, not everything's going to be my taste, but if it's about Jesus, I'm here. I may not, listen, something may be for a different generation and it's not for me, but that's okay. I'm here. 
I may not understand why those kids are playing four square in youth, but as long as it's pointing them to Jesus, I'm here. I may not understand why we sing some of those songs we sing, but I'm linking arms, and if it's about Jesus, I'm here. If people are getting saved, I'm here. And I'm going to link arms in spite of my preference. Because let's be honest, most people don't split with people over principle. They break off over preference, not principle. It's not they're doing something immoral, unbiblical, wrong. It's I just don't like it. Ain't for me because we're selfish. What if we put our selfishness aside and we saw something bigger than us? Listen, it takes more than one generation. I, I promise I am closing. I have more notes than normal and I'm preaching really fast. If you've ever read the Bible, you know this, this, this basic narrative. I'm, I'm going to close with this thought. This basic narrative that we see throughout Scripture, right? God creates the world's. He puts man in a garden, man sins, he falls, death, sickness, all these things enter the world. And from the point that man falls, God has one thing on his agenda. He has one thing on his agenda. What is that one thing? To reconcile and restore man back to himself. So we know because that was God's plan, it certainly happened when Adam was alive. But it didn't. Well, certainly it happened in his children's generation. Cain and Abel. Seth. Nope. Well, certainly in Noah's generation. No, it got worse. Abraham? Nope. David? Nope. Solomon? Nope. Elijah? No. Elisha? Nope. There are dozens of generations from the time God institutes this plan of restoring man back unto himself to Jesus coming and being the reality of that. Multitudes of generations. And listen, just because it didn't, the fullness of the plan of God didn't happen in their generation didn't make them a failure. Abraham wasn't a failure. Moses wasn't a failure. David wasn't a failure. They may have had areas where they failed, but their lives were not failures of lives or a failure of a generation. They fulfilled their piece of the puzzle that God called them to fulfill. Acts 13 actually says this about David. It says, after he, David, had served his own generation by the will of God, fell asleep, was buried with his fathers, and he saw corruption. David died. That's, that's what that's saying. After David did what God told him to do and served his purpose, he died. That's simple. David served, and then David died. I'm not trying to be a downer today. If you didn't know David was dead, surprise. But his death didn't make him a failure because one, he did what God set out for him to do. But secondly, he also did this. He passed the baton to the generation to keep running with what God had started and was doing through his generation into the next for God's plan to keep being fulfilled. What if we live with dynastic vision? What if we live with dynastic vision? What do you mean when you say that? What if we live with a, with, with a mindset of a dynasty that we're establishing? That what we're doing isn't just for us, but it's for generations we may never see. That it's for people we may never know. That it might be for great, great, great grandchildren. That what you're doing today is having an impact on a generation you might never see, but you are setting them up for success by being faithful in the time God has called you to be faithful. And listen, I know that a lot of you in this room have been told since you were a little baby that Jesus is coming back tomorrow. 
And y'all have seen a lot of tomorrows. And I've seen a lot of tomorrows. But I'm, I'm just going to let you in on a little cir- a secret. I was actually, I was reading an article last night. I was reading an article last night from a, a, a preacher, a man of God, who said, Jesus is definitely coming in the next 10 years. There is zero chance he does not come in the next 10 years. That article was written in 1999. And the minister who did a lot of great things for God is dead. Listen, what if you lived your life? I am I, thoroughly convinced, I promise I'm closer. I'm thoroughly convinced one of the main reasons we haven't seen the church advance at the way that I believe we should be advancing is because we have lived one generationally minded because we've all thought it was us. Unless you're on a secret, I'm not expecting it to be me. If it is, praise God. But I'm not living my life with the expectation for it to be me. I'm not living with the expectation for it to be my children, my grandchildren, or my great-grandchildren. Because the only way that I can really set, see things rightly and run things rightly is to live like he might be coming tomorrow, but to plan and prepare like he's not coming for millenniums yet to come. And that's the way we should establish things. What if we stopped looking for the Antichrist and we started looking for the generation that's coming after us? What if we stopped looking at every problem that happens in the world and go, this is it? 88 reasons Jesus is coming in 1988. Y'all remember that? That was a real book that sold millions of copies. That was a real book. 88 reasons it's coming in 1988. I don't know if you can do some math. We're a little bit away from 1988. What if we lived with a dynastic vision? What if we lived with generations that linked arms? What if we lived thinking this way? I can't fulfill the entirety of God's plan on my own, but I'm going to play my part. I'm going to set what comes after me up for success, and I'm going to live generationally minded. Every generation matters in this church. Every generation matters, and we're going to fulfill the will and plan of God for generations yet to come. I'm not just thinking about high praise for you. I'm thinking about high praise for your grandchildren. I'm thinking about high praise for your great-grandchildren. I'm thinking about high praise for your great-great-grandchildren, because I believe there will be a day where your grandchildren will be on the stage prophesying and leading worship. There will be a day where your great-grandchildren are leading people into the presence of God. I was an 11-year-old boy when this church started. 11 years old. And today I'm ministering on this platform. Pastor Castle was, how old were you? Eight years old when he came to this church. And look at him today. We have people on this platform all the time that were kids. And now they're carrying the torch. What if we thought about that for the next 30, 50, 100, 150 years? And we set a course for God to be able to move and do what he wants to do. Stand up to your feet. Thank you for your patience this morning. We just lift your hands to the Lord. I just want you to pray with me today. Say, Father God, I'm going to live my life with a generational mindset. I'm not going to live selfishly just thinking about me but I'm gonna link arms with those who came before me, with those who are coming after me to accomplish the plan and the will of God. I thank you, Father, that I'm going to live with dynastic vision, that I'm going to live thinking about generations yet to come for your glory, for your kingdom, and for your name to be noised, for miracles to be seen, for deliverance to happen 
and generations yet to come. In Jesus' mighty name. Now will you lift your voice? Thanks again for downloading this podcast. We trust that this message has blessed, encouraged, and edified you. Make sure you subscribe so you never miss a message here from High Praise. Also, you can follow us on social media, on Facebook, and on Instagram. And don't forget to go subscribe to our YouTube channel. We'll be back soon with another incredible message. God bless you and have a great week.